I grew up in a small town in New Mexico um, during the uh, the um, 1960s and 70s. And during that same period, this town, um, Alamogordo, had a minor role in the space race uh, from that same period, the 60s and 70s. And sometime during the 70s, as that was kind of uh, uh, being less and less a part of what the town was uh, all about, um, somebody got the bright idea of building the International Space Hall of Fame in Alamogordo. And I had a picture of it, but you'll just have to imagine. Um, so, um, so they built it just a, a couple of blocks from my house, and so we could see it going up, and when they opened it up, they had um, uh, an astronaut come to the dedication, and it was really neat. And you could go up there, and you know, if you lived in town, you could go up there whenever you wanted to, and you could see all of the, you know, the the recipients of the the award of being entered into the Space Hall of Fame. And somewhere along the way, I don't know why, you know, I moved out of town and and lost track of the details, but it became the New Mexico Space Museum. And I, I guess maybe there was already a Hall of Fame somewhere else, or maybe there's a Hall of Fame that was easier for astronauts to get to, or something, you know, in Florida or something. I don't know why, but it quit being the Hall of Fame. But I always liked the Hall of Fame. I think there's something special. I, I, I like museums in general, but I think there's something special about a Hall of Fame because because we like people more than we like things. That you know, if you're into sports. It's, it's neat to know, you know, what the, what the record, you know, pass is or whatever sports people pay attention to. Number of home runs. There's like a series going on or something, right? So I heard something about that. So, um, so if you're, if you're into sports, it's not enough to simply know, you know, that there was such and such a record, but you want to know who, who actually hit that home run or things like that. We're interested in people. People humanize things. And so we like, to have halls of fame. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, fame. We're going to talk about the idea of fame as it relates to a life of faith. We have been in this series. We're actually wrapping up the series today. We're, we've, been, we've been looking at the, the key uh, ideas behind the Protestant Reformation. And the reason for that is that 500 years ago, this Halloween is the celebration or at least the remember the the, the commemoration of the uh, 500th anniversary on on um, October 31st 1517 an Augustinian monk Martin Luther nailed a list of debating topics to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg Germany and by doing so he kicked off not just a brief debate but a 500 year debate that's been going on ever since about those ideas and so it's not just a historical uh, historical interest, a curiosity. It's actually something people are still debating about today. And the reason we're debating about these things is because they still affect our faith today. So we began several weeks ago. We looked at the Bible, and the idea there was that no one really wants to hear your theories, and they certainly don't want to hear my theories about God. That if I've got an interesting theory about God, I should be able to back it up by pointing to something in the scriptures that either says it directly or else it's a pretty straightforward process to get there. You don't need to, you know, use weird numerological tricks that, you know, tell you, you know, when the second coming will be or things like that. The, the things you see sometimes preachers do. The, the Protestant reformers said, no, this should be, this should be very straightforward. You should be able to find it in the Bible. So we talked about that. That was a big theme of the Protestant Reformers. Another thing they talked about was who was Jesus and what did he do? 
And what we saw is that the answer is Jesus connected us to God. The, the language of the scripture is that Jesus is a priest or a bridge builder. Um, sometimes it talks about building a bridge. Sometimes it talks about tearing down a wall. That whatever, whatever metaphor uh, works best for you, the idea is that we were cut off from God and Jesus reconnected us to God. So that was what we talked about next. And the next thing we talked about was grace. The idea that, that we can have that relationship with God, not because we, we climb to the top of a tall mountain or we went on a pilgrimage or we fasted or anything else, but simply as a gift that God wants to give us that that restored relationship as a gift. And that idea is the idea of grace. And then finally, last week, we talked about faith or trust. And the idea of trust is that is that if you are reconnected to God, how can you access that? What's the what's the secret to accessing the benefits that God gives the people he loves? And the answer is you just use it. And we talked about the, the grace and mercy credit card. And, and what we should do is run up a big bill every month on the grace and mercy credit card, trusting that God will pay us back. So those are the things we talked about before. And today we're going to talk about fame. We're going to talk about um, uh, fame or praise. Or in church world, the word we use for this is glory. So it was a big idea for the, for the people in the Middle Ages um, to, to address the question, who should receive glory? Who should receive fame? And the reason for this is in the Middle Ages, in, at the time of the Reformation, the medieval church had... Uh, uh, created a lot of doctrines around the saints. And the idea of a saint, a saint, the word saint actually means a holy person. It means somebody who has been set apart uh, by God for the work God is calling them to do. So we are all saints in that sense. But in the medieval church, they talked about specific saints, saints like the ones we heard about in our reading today from um, Hebrews, the famous ones, the ones who kind of made the headlines and who are all now gone to glory. They've gone to heaven um, they are with Jesus, and we will see them again in the resurrection, in the new heaven, the new earth. We will see them then, but in the meantime, they're up there somewhere in the vicinity of Jesus. And so there was this whole uh, set of ideas around the saints. Um, and uh, some of you who, who may be um, more familiar with Lutheran teaching, you may know that famously Martin Luther decided to enter um, the the clergy. He decided to take vows and become a monk because he was nearly struck by lightning in a storm. And he did not pray to God. He did not pray to Jesus. Some of you with a Lutheran background know Martin Luther prayed to St. Anne. So uh, that's what the medieval church taught people to do, is you would pray to a saint who would put in a good word um, right up there you know, with the throne of grace right there. So um, the medieval church talked about saints a lot more than we do. Um, they had special days for all kinds of saints. And in fact, Martin Luther was born on the saint, uh, the, the day for Saint Martin. So Saint Martin was a, um, he was a, a Christian leader in the 300s. So, uh, during the next thousand years, he became very popular in Europe. And so there was a special day set apart for him. So Saint Martin of Tours got a day and then Martin Luther was named after that because he named after him because he was born on St. Martin's Day. And I, I like this because in turn, um, in the 1930s, uh, a little boy was born and he was named after his dad, Martin Luther King, and he became Martin Luther King Jr. So this name keeps going. We keep remembering this St. Martin, even if we don't remember that's who we're remembering because in the medieval church, saints were important and saints had days. And there was actually a special day set apart for 
all the ones you kind of collectively, you know, the ones who didn't get their own day and, and, and then those who did. And it was called All Saints Day. All Saints Day is um, the day after All Saints Eve or All Hallows Eve. We talk about God being, you know, hallowed be thy name. Um, so Hallows Eve is Saints, Saints Eve. It's the day, it's the eve of All Saints Day. So Halloween is the eve of All Saints Day. So you can remember it that way. And of course, that is again the day that Martin Luther nailed his theses to the wall. So at the door. So saints were a big deal in the Middle Ages. And the reformers said we should stop that. They said that we should only give glory to God. And the reasons are that they couldn't find anything in scripture that suggested that we should venerate the saints, that we should give so much glory to, to, um, the saints. When they looked at the patterns established by the early church, when they looked at people like Peter and Paul, they saw whenever Peter and Paul did a miracle and the locals would say, oh, you're awesome. You know, you must be Zeus or you must be, you know, Hermes who's come to earth. They would say, no, 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 no. Um, I just work for the one living God whose name is, is God or, or whose, um, whose son is Jesus. So the, the early church uh, deflected praise from themselves to God. And they said, well, maybe they would still like that, even though they're in heaven now. They also looked at passages like the one we heard from Isaiah, where God says, I'm going to do all these wonderful things. God says, God says, um, um, I'm the Lord. I stretched out the heavens. Um, and he says, I've called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. Uh, you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison. And then he says, I'm the Lord. I do not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. And they said, God is very jealous about guarding his name. He does great stuff, but he's very jealous. As we read in the Old Testament, um, he's very jealous to guard his name. So they said, they said, for all these reasons, um, we think it's probably not a good thing to have this whole set of doctrines around the saints. But then they also looked at passages like the one we heard from Hebrews. So I'm going to, I'm going to refer to that now. So if you've got your scriptures, I'm going to go through it and try to illustrate what it is that, that they were talking about there. So it begins, and this is a long, a long book. Um, uh, scholars tell us this is probably actually a sermon. It was a sermon from the early church. So if you think I preached too long, um, uh, apparently they did too, because that's the first thing he says. He says in verse 32, he says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long. So I'm guessing that there was some things to say. This guy preaches for a long time. Um, so he says it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith. And then he lists some of these famous people. So back then they didn't have St. Martin, but they had Gideon and Barak and Samson and so forth. So he lists them all. And he says it would take too long to go through them all, but you know about them. And he says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and so forth. And he lists all these great victories that the saints had accomplished, these these uh, Old Testament heroes of the faith had done he said he said they did all these great things that that they you know stopped the mouths of lions and so forth so he says that there were saints uh, saints uh, of the old testament period who did these great things these heroes but he said he said they they won victories and that's a great thing and he said and then there were others who suffered for their faith and he lists some of them he says that they um that they were tortured, they were um, jeered at, they were whipped, they were stoned, um, they were sawed in half and so forth. He says some of them suffered for their faith. 
But then he says this. He says, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. By all means, not taking anything away from them. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. He said, uh, some people some people win great victories for God. And some people suffer for their faith. But he said, God had something more in mind than simply stopping the mouth of a lion or um, uh, uh, winning a strategic victory in the, in the, uh, against some um, enemy. He said, God had something much bigger. But it could only be won by suffering. He said that there are saints who won victories and there are saints who suffered. But he said there was one saint who won the greatest victory and did it by suffering to the greatest degree. He said, God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. They couldn't achieve what Jesus achieved. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus won the ultimate victory. And so what do you do with that? He says, Therefore, we're, since we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. He says, we're going to run our race too. We're going to cast off everything that slows us down because we're going to get in the game. We're going to do just like they did. And we don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't know, are we going to be the ones with the victory? Are we going to be the ones with suffering? And he says, really, it doesn't matter because we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Um, this word perfect means brings to a close. So who starts and finishes, the one who is with us through the whole life of faith. He says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. But now he is seated in the place of honor. He was both someone who suffered for his faith, but also won a great victory because of it. And he says, because of him, we can look to him and we need not become weary and give up. He says, after all, you have not yet given your lives and struggle against sin. So, the reformers, they looked at these different passages of Scripture. Isaiah, they looked at um, Acts 14. They looked at Hebrews 11 and 12, and they said, we just don't see any reason for us to venerate the saints the way the medieval church encouraged people to do. So they said, let's not do that. And kind of the first application of this is don't do that. You know, if lightning nearly strikes you, don't pray to St. Anne, pray to Jesus, right? Eliminate the middleman. All St. Anne could possibly do is say, hey, Jesus, let's protect Martin Luther here. So eliminate the middleman. Don't pray to St. Anne. But also, there's, a, there's, a, there's another idea at stake here, which is that St. Anne doesn't need prayers, She's in paradise with Jesus. Everything's fine for St. Anne. But there are saints around us. There are saints in our midst, sometimes in our home, who do need our prayers. Sometimes they're across the country. Uh, they're across the world. They're facing the same kind of suffering that we read about in this passage. Pray for them instead of to saints in glory. So that's a second application. But there's a deeper application. I think most of us probably don't do much praying to saints. But there's an idea here, which is that we want some part of the created order to stand in for God. We want, we think that somehow Saint Anne or Saint Martin is more approachable. And in the same way, we think that somehow 
a, a, a particular building or a particular type of experience, um, a particular translation of the Bible, a particular a type of music somehow is a good stand-in for God and it can take on um, the, the, the characteristics of God for us in such a way that it crowds out God. So the idea of accepting those substitutes goes beyond people. It goes to every part of our life. So accept no substances um, in the created world. Never accept a creation for God. So those are two applications. But I was trying to think, there's, there's more to this. And the, the first reformers didn't really get at it as clearly as people did about a 100 years later. It took about a 100 years for people to really wrestle with this and get it. Why, why is it important? I mean, okay, God says to do it, fine. But why? They said, why is this important? And here's what they came up with by the time of the Westminster Assembly, about a 100 years later. And the best way to illustrate this is with a scenario. Imagine, you know, last week I talked about the credit card with no limit. Imagine this this week you won a prize package, okay? You got to go to New York, okay? And you got the best seats in the house to watch Hamilton, okay? And you stayed at a five-star hotel, and you went to the best restaurant in New York City, okay? That's part of your prize package, but that just kicks it off. After that, you go on a 30-day vacation, all expenses paid, okay, to all the top vacation destinations where you stay in five-star accommodations. But there's one catch. The catch is you can never tell anyone. You can never say how much you enjoyed it. During Hamilton, you can't applaud. You have to sit in your hands. You can never tell anybody about this experience. It would be weird, wouldn't it? Would you enjoy it as much? You want to be able to tell people, I had the greatest vacation. We were in the Royal Hawaiian. We had the President's Suite. We just walked out to the beach. It was so awesome. But I can't tell anyone. What the Westminster divines, the people who, who came up with this uh, idea or codified this idea, what they said is that uh, there is something about praise that fulfills the enjoyment. That ultimately, you cannot enjoy something unless you can praise it. And so when they were asked, what do we believe about our faith? The very first thing they said is, what is the purpose of humanity? Why are people here? And they said, we are here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. They said that ultimately it is that glorification of God that enables us to enjoy living. So, one last application. Don't pray to saints. Don't accept any part of the created order as a substitute for God. But a last application is this. Give praise to God. Try it out. Whenever you find yourself enjoying something, look past it to the God who provided it to you and see whether that actually detracts from your enjoyment or actually enhances it. Because what the reformers discovered, I mean, there must have been, there must have been uh, saints along the way who, who, who found out this out beforehand. What the reformers codified, what they, what they articulated so well was that ultimately our enjoyment of God 
increases our enjoyment of life. You were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So do that. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we give you thanks uh, because you have made a world that is um, so enjoyable. When we uh, look at the beautiful snow and we haven't had six months to get tired of it, um, when, when the lights come back on and we have heat and electricity, you have made so many things that we can enjoy that make our lives easy and comfortable. Um, there are experiences that we can appreciate, Lord. Help us to look at them, but look through them and past them and see a loving Father who delights to give good gifts to his children. Lord, help us to, to believe the truth that you are ready to hear our prayers. We don't need an intermediary because of what Jesus has done to reconnect us that we can now pray to you and you hear our prayers directly. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.